Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Well, good morning. So good to be with you here on Mother's Day. It's the time when mothers get their sons to go to church. (laughs) Father's Day (laughs) is the day that men go play golf, (laughs) even if they don't know how. It was about 1905 when the first Mother's Day, official Mother's Day, was celebrated here in America. Now, it had been celebrated all around the world in various times from March to May, but it was a gal by the name of Anna Jarvis, and she held a memorial for her mother at St. Andrew's Methodist Church in Grafton, West Virginia. But she wanted to, she got on a campaign because her mom was such a great person. She had taken care of those who had fought in the Civil War and cared for soldiers, and she said, I just have learned so much from my mom that I think moms should be celebrated. So eventually, it made it to Congress, and it it became a national holiday for mothers to recognize moms. And eventually, Woodrow Wilson, I think in um, 1911, stated that it would be the second uh, Sunday of every month. I mean, of the month of May. (laughs) You know, it's a bad start. Okay. Now, here's what happened. Her original intention was for you to pay close attention to your mom and to love your mom and appreciate her and write notes to her and do wonderful things. Don't make her work that day and all that fun stuff. But in 1920, Hallmark Cards gets into the game and starts selling cards. And she got upset and, was, and tried to reform the whole thing. It was kind of sad. But she was, Anna Jarvis was the person who wanted to recognize her mom publicly. This is really important for us because, you know, it, it's, it's tough to, to preach about moms sometimes because I know the internal struggles that a lot of women have had or, or husbands who haven't been able to have kids. And, 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 and we grieve and we'll mourn and pray with you for that. But we also rejoice in the fact that God has created someone, someone within a family that knows what's going on, right? Amen. Say amen. Men everywhere, amen. That, that God has strategically worked it out so that at least one parent knows what's happening and knows what needs to take place. I heard a story of a mom. <clears throat> Moms can be vain as well. Uh, she was with her uh, daughter, and uh, they, they met a friend from her childhood. And so her friend looks at her daughter and says, I can remember you when you were this tall. And uh, look at you now. How old is she now? And she said, the mom said, 24. And so the lady walked off, and the daughter turned to the mom and said, Mom, I'm mortified. How could you lie about my age like that? I'm 35 years old. She said, it just dawned on me. I've been lying about my age for years, and it's, I have to start lying about yours too, or it's not going to work. <laughs> but there have been a lot of moms in my life. My sister was a mom, and she raised up a great son. 
Uh, she passed on some genetics where, well, anyway, he, he's a really great guy. But then there's my mom, Polly Rao. Uh, we'll bring her up. She passed on one of my first years here at New Covenant. And she's a real sweetheart, but that look right there would scare me to death when I was a kid. <laughs> look right through your soul. I mean, if you think about lying, just die right on the spot. But she was great because she was raised uh, by Christians. She grew up in a farming environment, and uh, she had swore she would never marry a pastor because she grew up during the Depression, and the poorest people ever were pastors. And uh, so she married a baseball player and a coach. She thought, this is it. It's perfect. And then until one day, he got called to preach, and then, you know, what she had feared had come upon her eventually. But she was a great soul. My dad died when I was eight, so she was the person who raised me. And so if you don't like the way that I am, just go ahead and insult my mother. That's fine. No. She did a great job. Uh, I mean, with what she had, the raw material that she had. But she had a, what I've always appreciated about her was that I never saw for one moment that her faith in God wasn't real. She was a real person. Things would come out of her mouth uh, right at me that would, <laughs> that you'd think, excuse me, did you learn that at Sunday school? I don't think you did. <laughs> but she made no bones about it. She was a real person who followed a real God and had a long litany of stories of how, how God had interacted in their marriage and in with our family. And, and I treasure those memories. And ladies, I'm just tell you, you don't have to be perfect to be a mom, okay? You don't have to be perfect. It would be good if you were perfect, but then it would make your kids look bad because your kids are not perfect. But there, there's a sense that People love their moms. You know, I, uh, I have a new uh, child in my family, and it's from my daughter, Emily. She's my second daughter. And I've just enjoyed, we have four, four kids, but I've just enjoyed her and remembering how little she was. And when we brought her home and to where now she's looking at that baby and he is I mean, she's everything in his world. She looks at the rest, he looks at the rest of us sort of glassy-eyed and like, I don't comprehend what these weird aliens are staring at me. Uh, but with her, he just has these endearing eyes, and she is such a good mother already. And, and mothers are not just, you know, uh, people that women admire or esteem to. But they're, they're really important to the whole society and the world that we live in because they bring in such nurturing. It's where we learn to nurture best when we look at moms, we see true nurturing. And then I'd like to introduce to you somebody who has waited all of her life to become a grandmother. Do you please? Miss Carly. She had four kids just to uh, raise up the possibility, the stats, of her becoming a grandmother. That's the only reason she had kids. I know that for a fact. <laughs> this woman is completely in her glory. And finally, here's the cutest picture you're going to see all day. <laughs> Moms... 
I don't know what it is. I can, if, if it was just dads, the kid would have a T-shirt on, uh, probably a bandana typed around his bottom for a diaper, and that would be it, and a pine cone to play with. But moms will make them look like a sweet pea or a Peter Pan or whatever. They're just so wonderful. And we thank you for that. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your hard work. Thank you for putting up with so many people. I mean, it's such a tough job, but we want to honor you in that. Because throughout history, various times, people either denigrate women or they lift them up. People are able to denigrate the, the job of a, of a wife, of a mother, or, or they denigrate them. And, and not everything works out perfectly. Not everybody had a great mom. Can anyone? No, don't say amen to that. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. Sorry, mom. You're sitting right here. I didn't know that. But moms, my friends, are so critical to the nurture of this world, bringing up a small children. Now, guys, just, just for a second here, be honest, because there are women here. How many of you just love hanging out and taking care of babies? Come on, see the nurturers. Okay, there's, we've got one. All right, two. Okay. Two unicorns in a room, that's pretty good. <laughs> and, and it just seemed like with all of our four kids that as they got older I, and they could play and do stuff, I bonded even deeper. And I'm trying everything I can to bond to this little creature. And he's, he's cute as a button, I tell you. But the way that moms deal with a baby is astounding. And it's a way, and I, and I see it as a part of the projection of God's love in this world. Because people really don't love like that. You know, <clears throat> football players spend all their time, their dads go to all their practices, they take them everywhere, and then they finally get on TV and they say, thanks, mom. I want to shout out to my mom. You know, <laughs> what'd she do? She fed me. That's the most important thing. She fed me. I heard a story, though. It said people will say, you know, uh, I know my mom has passed on. She's up in heaven now, and I know she's been watching the game. And I heard someone break this down, and they said, can you imagine your mom being in heaven? And so she's up in heaven, and she's going to go hang out with some friends, maybe some of the apostles, I don't know, some important people. Just take it easy, you know. And uh, someone says, hey, where are you going? We're all going over here to have fun. She said, uh, I got to watch my kid's football game. He still makes me watch these football games, even though I'm in heaven. So, okay, that joke fell dead. All right. <laughs> Noted right there. Good. All right. Today we're going to look at uh, Jesus and his mom at a wedding in Cana. And weddings have worries. If you've ever put weddings on, I don't know what it is, but people get so nervous about weddings. I can marry so many couples up to, I'm over 49 now, and they just get so nervous about saying their vows right. And, and really, weddings are just about having a great time no matter what happens. But the preparation is worrisome. I'm reading to you from the message in John 2, beginning in verse 1. 
Three days later, there was a wedding in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. Jesus and his disciples were guests also. Where? They were in Cana of Galilee, which was a very small village in the hill country, not far from Nazareth where Jesus grew up. Okay, Weddings were a big, big event that day because the bride and the groom would be treated as king and queen, the bridegroom and the queen. And I'm sure Jesus wanted to be there because he loved people. Although I will say that oftentimes men, uh, it's usually we have tried to do anything we can to keep from going to a wedding. I don't know what it is, but it's not very guy-friendly situation. Anyway, it was then. They would take the couple and they would celebrate them because they're coming of age. They're becoming a part of the community. But all of a sudden, disaster strikes and they start running out of supplies. That is stressful. I mean, nowadays, they have so many creative weddings. I don't know if you've been to a wedding lately, but they're really creative. They've got a lot of fun things to do. But um, I can remember growing up, (laughs) weddings were basically, you had the wedding in the chapel, then you went to the fellowship hall where you had a bowl of mixed nuts, a bowl of mints, a cake, and some punch. Anybody remember those days? Total cost of the wedding out from the father, 125 bucks. <laughs> Talked to a friend the other day. He's like, yeah, I've been saving up. I've got a buddy at work who's been putting money away for years, and he's, he's going to spend about 60 grand on the wedding. And I'm like, wow. I wonder if he has an, another kid available in his family that I can marry one of my kids to. That's what I thought. Okay. Now, weddings can be stressful. In fact, uh, I've been a part of a lot of them. And usually what happens is most people get married when they're young. Some get married when they're older. But mostly it's young. So in the rehearsal time or, or during after the service, you usually have a lot of young people around. And there's always a bunch of unruly guys who look at me like some kind of downer. I'm just like, oh, you're the pastor, and just walk away. Like, I don't care to know you. I don't want to have anything to do with you. I don't know what you're doing. And uh, so I just said, hey, guys, you're all lining up here. You're dressed nice and tucked. Let me just give you a little rule. The rule is don't extend your knees completely. Keep them bent just a little bit. Those of you who've been in the military know this routine. And I remember this one kid looking at me, and he's going, I would never pass out in a, in a wedding. And I thought, there it is, Lord. There's the one. He's going to make this a great wedding. So it's a little church. You know, the, the stage is probably about a, a foot and a half tall. The, the chairs are up really close, and there's a big line of bridesmaids and bridegrooms. And we get to a certain part in the wedding, and I, I said... I said, may we have the rings? And some guy started, help me get out here so you can see. He just started kind of doing like this. And they were all looking worried. And he passed out and went headlong and fell under a lady's um, chair. And I couldn't go, aha, but that's what I wanted to do. God told me you were the one. 
disrespect a bald pastor. <laughs> Back to the Bible. Verse 3, when they started running low on the wine at the wedding banquet, Jesus' mother told him, they're just about out of wine. Okay, you say, well, what's the big deal about wine? Well, the big deal was, it's not like it was that common everywhere all the time. Wine was used for medicinal purposes. It had a little bit of alcohol in it. And it was also used during times of celebration. It was like, you know... It's like going out to the ballpark and not having, you know, a green chili, uh, chili dog. I mean, you just can't imagine it. You can't imagine not having ice cream. You, you would have wine with it. And so the rabbis would say, where there's no, if there's no wine, without wine, there is no joy. And it didn't mean that it meant to be drunk. It just meant that this was special occasion. It was the taste of life, okay? Hospitality was a very sacred obligation, as it is with most of us. But failure to provide the feast would likely tarnish the reputation of the young couple in the community. It would be one of those. It, it's, it would be wonderful if everybody was mature all the time, but not everybody's mature all the time. And so it would be one of these things. Well, you know what happened at their wedding? They ran out of wine and cheese dip as well. It was just embarrassing for their family. The groom's family would provide for the feast. Okay, here's Jesus and his mom. Jesus said, is that any of our business, mother, yours or mine? This isn't my time. Don't push me. In fact, that's from the message translation. The NIV states it like this. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. This is perfect. Jesus has grown up now. He's out on his mission serving the Lord. And mom's still around like, Jesus, we're running out of wine. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship the two of them had, but she remembers who his father is, the heavenly father. And so I don't know if they had guests over sometimes and she would be, come in to Jesus at the last minute. Jesus, we're running out of pita bread and falafels. Can you help me out? Now, we're not told that. That's just purely speculation. But she knew that she could depend on him, even though it was somewhat irritating. It's like, it's their house, Mom. We don't have to provide anything. Yeah, but it would be really good, and I know that you can take care of this. Can you take care of it? Okay? But it, basically what he was saying is, don't worry. You don't quite understand what's going on. Leave things to me, and I'll settle them in my own way. You see, at this time, Joseph, her husband, his dad, was most likely dead. And Jesus was left as the oldest son to take care of the mother and the siblings, okay, until a younger male was able to take care of the family. Jesus had started his ministry. His ministry started at age 30, and he was no longer living under his mom's household, and he was out on a mission from his father, okay? He was out on a mission from his father. Okay, from here, the focus will remain on his father and his job. Look at John 4, verse 34. He said, My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I and my father are one, John chapter 10, verse 30. We have a lot of very little information about the workings of Mary and Jesus. We know a lot about the end of his life, 
But one thing for sure, she trusted and relied upon him. Now, she went and told the servants after this happened, do whatever he tells you to do. He was a very capable man. He had stayed at home. He had raised up someone else who could take over the family. And now he is out serving his father. That, moms, is the natural occurrence of things. Eventually, your child should leave the home. And, and, I mean, that applies to you. I don't really think it applies to me. I wish my kids would stay home all the time. In fact, uh, I'm looking into purchasing a compound. I don't know if any of the rest of them will do that. But it's hard to let your kids go. And when you see them growing up, when they hit a certain age, they don't like listening to your lectures. You know that? I don't know if you know that. But mine have gotten to the point now where they're like, okay, Dad, we've heard your opinion on this subject all of our lives. So we, you don't have to say anything. Just look, sit there and listen to us and don't say anything because we know what your response is going to be. We know. We've heard the lectures. We know what's going on. And so there comes a point in a child's life in that a parent has to realize that they have to go out and fulfill what they're being called to do. However well, however unprepared they are, however they're ready, they have to go out and begin that life. Even Jesus had a mother. Isn't it interesting that he could have a heavenly father and Joseph as a stepfather here on the earth, but he needed a real live mother for him. In fact, probably the way he learns to love was watching his mom care for himself and for other people, and realize that that is an expression of the Father's love. Moms, it's the greatest thing that you have. It's the greatest thing that you have. To be able to look at a child and know that they know that you unconditionally love them and are for them. Now, you may gripe at them. You may complain at them. You may drive them crazy at times, but they don't have one doubt in their mind that you love them, and that someone absolutely accepts them. That, my friends, is so important for someone to go out into the world to have that established within themselves, that they know that. It's so important. And so you don't have to be the greatest mother in the world. You don't have to be uh, the most talented mother. I, there are those people, I see them, overachieving parents. One of my best friends was just the most overachieving father. I, I hated myself. Every time I went home after spending time with he and his kids, he was just so perfect. And so I'm waiting for him to mess up. I'm just waiting, you know, something, some kind of crack. But then mom's the same way. You don't have to be perfect. As far as we know, Jesus' mom was just a normal mom, just like everybody else. But God had spoken to her, and God had put her on a mission. What was that mission? Mission was to raise up the Messiah. You think you've got a hard job raising a kid that makes a 4.0? How about, who's he going to be? The Messiah. Oh, well, I'm going to have to go to church a lot more. (laughs) I'm going to have to buy some scrolls and keep them around the house. A big deal. 
But God knew what he was doing. He was preparing him with his mom for his mission here on the earth. And moms, if you don't think that you play a part in the mission of your kids' lives in this earth, you're totally missing out. You get to be the biggest influencer. <clears throat> right now, in social media, there's this currency that's being used, and, and people are now taking on the title of an influencer. What does that mean? It means that you're a person that does this with a camera, and that you have 250,000 followers or whatever. You become an influencer to people. Well, listen, does anyone doubt the influence of Jesus Christ on this earth? No, no, no. I mean, the greatest influencer ever, longest lasting, greatest effect, most appeal. Even he had a mom, and even he was influenced by his mom. And you can bet, you can bet the mission that they had was twofold with God. Now think about this for a minute. You say, well, I'm sorry. None of my kids turned out to be Jesus. Okay. Nobody else's did either, by the way. But moms, when it comes to you and your kids, you have a lifelong growing relationship. Okay? It changes when they're babies. Babies do little things. You can talk goo-goo to them. Then they get a little bit older. They start running around and sticking stuff and electrical outlets. And then they get a little bit older than that and, you know, get in fights at school and whatever. And, but you are on mission with God, so is Mary, with your child and with the Holy Spirit. And with whatever little preparation you have or great preparation, if you will submit that to God and submit that child to God, you can rest knowing that you've done what you should have. Now, you think for a second. As a parent, I can tell you, um, there were times when I felt like, I'm so good, I wish someone would just come and take a picture of me and put me in the paper. That's how good of a dad I am. And then there's other times where I just feel like I, I'm going to move <laughs> just to another country, see if they're opening up any planets or anything, because I've just done such a terrible job. And I know that the angst that parents have with that. We have to realize that God is the one who created this whole process, okay? And so God ultimately makes these people in his image. And God ultimately will have the say over their life. All that you can do is influence and influence. My mom was a great encourager. And uh, since Satan was such a great discourager, it was a nice balance in my life. But what I found is that through the years, she would encourage me. I would call her up and say, Mom, I'm never going to be a pastor. And she said, how do you know that? How will you know you're never going to be a pastor? I said, I just know it. I can feel it in my bones. It's not going to work out. But I want to be. I believe that God's calling me to. And she said, David, right now, just study and read and continue to read and study and read. Because one day you'll be so busy, you won't have time to do any of that. 
And she would remind me of that long after I had become a pastor. So it's her fault that I'm a pastor. At least we have someone to blame, Mom. But your work isn't done. You continue to love your children through the totality of their life or your life. You continue to mentor them and they continue to look to you and love you with just a unique, powerful love. All right. Now, this is why it's good to invite Jesus to your events. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2 of John. Six stone water pots were there, used by the Jews for ritual washings. Each held 20 to 30 gallons. Now, the reason that they would have these pots there is that you'd show up to the house. They didn't have running water in the house. And so you'd have these big jars with water that you've collected, and you would use them for washing feet, for ritual cleaning of hands before meals, and so forth, and you would also use it for drinking. Jesus took them, and he said in verse 7, Fill the pots with water, and they were filled them to the brim. Now fill your pitchers and take them to the host, he said. And they did. When the host tasted the water, it had become wine. He didn't know what just happened, but the servants, of course, knew. He called out to the bridegroom, everybody I know begins with their finest wines, and then after the guests have their fill, bringing, uh, excuse me, they've had their fill, bringing in the cheap stuff, you've saved the best for last. The best for last. (laughs) I like the way this guy thinks. Give them the nice stuff at the beginning. Later on, they won't care. Okay? Now, it's always a good idea, my friends. Here's a lesson. It's always a good idea to invite Jesus to your wedding or any big event. This is testimonial proof here in Scripture. There are a lot of things that you have to do, a lot of things that are important for moms. A lot of details, right? Can any mom say amen? A lot of details. And so because of that, there is a need for Jesus' intervention. I wouldn't want to do anything without first asking the Lord, Lord, would you please intervene and be here with us today? That's why we ask for his blessing at meals, just in case mom made a mistake. You never know. But we need him, and he's there as a help for you. And I would say especially moms. Now, I, I have no biblical data to back this up, nothing scientific. Uh, it, and I will tell you that I think God loves moms more than he does husbands <laughs> or dads. <laughs> I just, it's, it's just intuitive me. I just think he does. They just seem to do a much better job. But Jesus could do only, he could only do what no one else could do, okay? And unless we embrace this truth, okay, we're going to miss out on all the wonderful things in life, day to day, that Jesus affords us, okay? And moms teach us that. She could have said, oh, you're a big, you know, prophet now. You're out doing your thing. I don't want to ask you to stoop to do this. No. She would expect that he would be there. And because of that, you can see him being glorified 
in everyday life. Everyday life can be the most exciting existence that you can have. At your home, we, we look at you know, very famous people, and we've learned over the years to look at a famous person and go, ooh, ah, oh, I wonder what kind of car they drive. Ooh, I wonder what designer clothes they wear. I wonder how many square feet their house is. Oh, they've just made it so wonderful. When I know people who've lived on our street and been in our community, who have just served faithfully, worked at their particular job, raised their families, and have just a fulfilling, fulfilling existence. You see, Mary was just a normal woman. She was just a normal mom. And Jesus, as far as everyone else knew, <laughs> was normal. Although, you know, probably getting an A or a 100 on all those tasks in school might give it away. I don't know. But I wondered how she would deal with that. But here's the deal. Moms, you deal with kids crying in the middle of the night. Soccer and school activities in your van. Trips to the hospital. Uh, always and the favorite of mine is always paying the bills at the end of the month. How many of you love doing that? Nobody. We like taking in money. We don't like giving it out. But Jesus is always the person that you should invite to be in the middle of your lives daily. Because why? Because he can turn water into wine. If you're like me, when someone talks about wine, I'm kind of like, eh, I don't know. Makes the cheese taste good. I don't really know much more than that. You know, the best stuff comes in a box. And um, I'm, I'm just trying to, to, to lighten this up. I, I don't live in a society where that's really that as important as it was during that time. I just know that if you go out to lunch or dinner with certain people, they will spend a lot of money on a bottle of wine. And so I, I just, anyway, it doesn't really matter to me. I got way off track. Okay, he can turn water into wine. That's something that's not easy to do. It usually takes people a long time, and they usually turn grapes into wine. But he can take plain, everyday things and turn it into something festive and wonderful. And he will do that in the most quiet places, the places that are reserved. It was his sign, his first miracle, was done at a wedding at the request of his mom. All right, look at verse 11 of John 2. Jesus will be glorified in everyday life. This act in Cana of Galilee was the first sign Jesus gave, the first glimpse of his glory, and his disciples believed in him. And after he went on down to Capernaum along with his mother, brothers, and disciples, and they stayed several days. The word that is used here for sign is simeon. It means a miracle or a sign. It's a marvelous event manifesting a supernatural act of divine agent, often with the emphasis on communicating a message. It was a clue. It was a sign, okay? God puts out these signs to us from time to time, but it's only for those who are paying attention. 
Because these signs happen again and again, and they happen in people's lives again and again. It's God's way of pointing and getting your attention. God ever get your attention at all? Uh, Not even now. Okay. Got it. (laughs) But God has a way of getting our attention. You say, well, what's turning water into wine? Well, it was a new expression. It was unheard of. And what he was about to go out and to preach was that the kingdom of God is now at hand. There is a change in this world, and this change can take place here at this wedding. We don't have time to go through all of the implications, but to suffice it to say is that this, my friends, was a signal of what was to come. <clears throat> Everyday miracles in your home, praying with your kids around the table, praying with your grandkids around the table, teaching them to love God and to observe scripture, the miracles in your home may be small and seem somewhat insignificant, but not to him, because it is a sign and a signal of what is yet to come. It's a sign and a signal, and that becomes, it may start small, but it's going to grow and grow and grow and lead each one of us who are followers of him into his glory, into an expression of relationship that is very deep and satisfying. Okay? Get this here. Jesus was now on a mission with his Father. Okay? And because of this, he and his mother, their relationship would change forever. She had to let him go. She had to let him go and pursue what God wants him to do. Well, what if he gets hurt? Well, chances are he probably will get hurt. What if he gets killed? There's a good chance of that too. That protective nature that you have, moms, continues on throughout their lives. But it changes from, no, you can't go do that, stay in the house, to, all right, I'm praying for you. I'm looking out for you. I'm still here for you you, period. But I am the person who is applauding in the background, saying, you continue to follow the Lord. You continue to do what he's called you to do. Don't forget, God has put his mark upon you. Now, moms, you're really good at using guilt. I don't know why people talk about Christians and religious organizations good at using guilt. It all comes from just observing moms. You know, I had a good friend of mine. He said, gosh, my mom, and this is a true story. He said, you think you know guilt? You think you can put guilt on me? You don't know anybody. You don't know my mom. My mom, if I don't come to visit her enough, she said, it's okay. You're busy. You're a big shot. You can come visit me when I'm dead. It seemed to work flawlessly on my friend. But he says here, he, he, he expresses that God would make his glory grow in this. That he, we would see his glory. Okay? He says, the act in Cana was the first sign that Jesus gave and the first glimpse of his glory. And his disciples believed in him. 
glory, doxa. It is the manifest presentation of God's infinite and majestic nature normally conveyed to humanity in superlative brightness. The glory of God. We see Him as who He is. You see, He's packaged in human form. God the Father hidden away because mankind couldn't look upon Him and live because of our sinful nature. But He says, in this, this carpenter who was the son of Mary, son of Joseph, who was from Nazareth, was now beginning to show signs of his true nature and his true glory. God can take his true nature and his true glory and bring it into the simplest, simplest home, your home, your family, your kids, your friends, your neighbors. And it can start with something small, but the truth is God wants to display more of his glory. More of his person. You notice how that happens. You can meet somebody on the street and you may assize them, uh, assess them really quick to see who they are, what you think of them, what your opinion is. But as you get to know the person, they begin to open up and unfold and tell you stories and you get to experience more of this person's life. And you get to see, wow, I thought this person was just an average normal person. I get to meet them and boy, they've had some amazing experiences. And Jesus' glory is like that. The more that we stick with him, the more that we ask him, the more that we get involved and on board with his mission, he begins to express that glory in relationship, and we are coming closer and closer to, ah, that's who you are. Oh, that's who you are. I have some things I'll be able to tell you about in a couple of weeks that are pretty cool, but I had some really great Jesus experiences this week. Um, and I can't tell you now because it'll give away, it's just anachronistic. I will be able to tell you, and, and you're going to rejoice with me. But it was just so comforting to know that going out throughout my daily life, that he is right there, intimately involved, and knows what's going on. Moms, God doesn't forget you. God knows that your hands get tired. God knows that you get tired of their disrespect. God knows it all. He knows every bit of it. And he's there completing and pushing his plan and mission in your life. And he's there to see that it is fulfilled. Does life have pain? Yeah. Does life have disappointments as moms? Absolutely. So it's a part of the... Get to be a part of a, a funeral yesterday of a mom and a son just weeks apart had been taken and a devastating effect on the family because it was so sudden. But it was, it's always been glorious to me to sit and listen to the stories of how a sibling would interpret another sibling or a sibling would give tribute to a mom, and all those little stories that we identify with are so powerful. Because, moms, you may not hear it now, 
But I guarantee you, if you can manage to attend your funeral, they're going to say some nice things about you. You work that out. I don't know. All the stuff that you would feel as a mistake sort of goes to the side because the most important things were the acts of love and the time that you spent and you poured into. Is it worth it, moms? Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes it doesn't seem that way. But when it comes to end of life, people remember what's important. And people will remember that about you. And you'll be glorified in the Lord. Jesus loved his mom and was happy to be there and to help her. Jesus loves you, moms, and is ready and happy to be there to help you. Don't forget that. Don't forget the special relationship that he has with you. And if you're not a mom this morning, that's okay. Jesus is there for all of us, and that's the point. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time. Thank you for moms who work so hard. Lord, we pray that you would bless them today. That they would have a special sense of love and respect and honor that they deserve. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand? This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.